Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Floor 9. This week, I am joined by Ariel Garcia, our Chief Privacy Officer at UM, to talk about brands and their taking a stand in solidarity with Ukraine. Ariel, thanks so much for joining us. Great to be back. There's a lot to talk about here, obviously, and we're not even going to, of course, not going to try to be comprehensive in terms of everything. I think given our audience and the topics that we normally cover, let's start with what's happening on the brand side. Let's start with with brands who are starting to pause and in some cases pull out in terms of both both marketing sides of things and also operations in Russia. There are at this point over 400 U.S. and multinational firms who have pulled out of Russia either permanently or temporarily, uh, according to a study out of Yale. Um, And it's ranging from every sector. There's like the major oil companies, the major tech companies, uh, consumer brands like Starbucks and McDonald's, Netflix, Ikea, Apple, Disney, lots of folks pulling out uh, and pausing operations there. What do you think is the right way for brands to think about uh, situations like this, where most folks would agree that there's a pretty clear aggressor and a pretty clear intent? How do brands evaluate that risk versus rewards of pulling out of a market in cases like this? So I think that there is a pretty important distinction here, right, between pulling out from like a business operations standpoint Mm -hmm. versus stopping marketing and stopping advertising altogether. And even within that decision, by what market, right? So we see a ton of, of effort to no longer monetize or fund Russian sites that are known to spread misinformation and disinformation. That's a wholly different decision than pausing business operations in a market. So if we take that first piece first, because we see a ton of companies that are just not operating in Russia anymore, the, the thing that's so interesting about crises like this one is that there are always two sides to every coin, right? So on the one hand, in alignment with the economic sanctions and and to prevent inadvertently funding these actions that are tragic and, and harmful to Ukraine, a lot of businesses are halting operations. But in the process of doing that, they're having to think through what does that mean for our employees locally when we're talking mm-hmm. about multinational companies? Like, how are they going to be able to feed their families, right? And so you have this kind of friction between how a company's action impacts Russia as a government and mm-hmm. versus the impact that it's having on people and how do you kind of balance both. And, and we see the same from an advertising perspective where there's a need to still make sure that people in Russia understand what's going on and have access to real factual information from quality news sources. And yet you have brands that are navigating this fear around being present in inappropriate environments. And so from that perspective, what we're seeing is not a, you know, pause all advertising across the board everywhere at all. It's about prioritizing the investment in quality news. It's about supporting quality journalism and making sure that that is getting to the world inclusive of the Russian people to the extent that it can. It's interesting because obviously there are not only political and social concerns around pulling operations out and winding things down in a responsible way, whether that's temporary or or permanent. There's also an economic side of things, right? Because the Russian economy has, due to the sanctions, really cratered in the past few weeks. And so for some brands, it just doesn't economically make sense to be there anymore. Just curious, have you seen anything, any instances where where companies might have paused their operations in the country, but kept those marketing dollars flowing? either as part of a longer term plan or, as you're saying, to sort of help fund and and make sure that real journalism and responsible journalism is, is still getting funded in the country. 
I think that the way that that plays out is kind of separate, right? Mm -hmm. Because taking a step back, actually, because it's worth noting, even in terms of stopping or pausing or exiting the market, we have to remember the way that Russia company ownership works as it relates to international investors, right? A lot of these, especially in the media related sector, are like joint ventures. They're part government owned or controlled as well. So I would say there's an interesting sensitivity or or at least thought that I had earlier, which is so who's going to pick up the other part of that partnership yeah. now, right? Will you have other countries or companies in other countries vying for hmm. for that joint venture? Um, <laughs> and what will the impact of that be, right? So I think that that's going to be certainly interesting to, to watch. And then in terms of advertising, it's not about advertising in Russia. I think to your point, like the economic factors and the state control of you know media in the market certainly makes it clear what the appropriate course of action in that sense is. But it's about outside of Russia, both, you know, in the U.S. and also regionally. That's where we're seeing advertisers not have the same gut reaction of pulling spending all together now because we've learned since (laughs) COVID-19 and we've learned since George Floyd, right, that the appropriate thing to do is not to stop advertising altogether, but to make sure that you're supporting quality news and, and investing in quality journalism and working with, for example, a news guard to make sure that you're doing that. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. And I think that obviously, regardless as to operations and marketing inside of Russia or Ukraine at this point, every brand is being faced with how do we engage with the the coverage of the war. Um, And I think to your point, it's been a learning exercise over the past few years for a lot of brands going from early COVID when the news was wall to wall pandemic to uh, the Black Lives Matter protests from uh, summer of 2020. There's been a lot of social and political and cultural turmoil that brands, uh, you know, maybe five or so years ago would have not have been comfortable necessarily of showing up next to that news coverage, how brands think about brand safety next to these sort of very important world events. How do you think that brands are evolving their approach to brand safety to be able to support the the important news and journalism that is being uh, generated around these topics? Yeah, so I think the way to think about it is that the industry, brands included, has learned that these situations need to be approached with a scalpel and not an axe. Taking a super blunt approach of saying, oh, well, you know, sentiment generally is down right now, and so we don't want to appear next to anything, has the inadvertent impact of impacting publisher revenue significantly and harming journalism, right? So I think what we see instead is an intentional investment in quality news and leaning into like inclusion lists (laughs) um, more so versus like just outright blocking things like war or conflict, right? And so I think that that's a major change from what we saw before the pandemic and one that is clear that, that brands in the industry have embraced this time around a lot more nimbly, that's a significant change. Yeah, for sure. At the lab, we titled our 2022 outlook Embracing Entropy because we do think that we're in for more of this and not less of it in the future. What's your read on percentage of brands who are who are getting comfortable in this space? Would you say most brands are actually pretty good and pretty savvy about it at this point? Or is there still a lot of education and learning that needs to happen to ensure that we're really funding our, our highest quality journalism? 
I mean, without putting a percentage sure. on it, I think conceptually there's comfort, but like, will there ever be just outright comfort with doing anything as a brand new time? No, I think that there's certainly an understanding that consumers expect brands to take a stand, mm-hmm. right? And there's also an understanding and an embrace of being a good corporate citizen. And the momentum behind the need to deliver to both of those things is continuing to grow and will continue to grow. But in terms of being comfortable, I think that's a, that's a wholly different question. Knowing how to how to respond and making thoughtful and nimble choices when faced with the, that balancing act, I think we can say there's been a market improvement. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think one last question on the brand safety front, something that I think a lot of brands in the US uh, or the US brands have not had to think about as much, but obviously our global brands have been thinking about for a while. And I think is becoming a little bit more top of mind for everybody is how brands engage with content produced by by state run media, and how that sort of interacts with uh, more impartial journalism, perhaps. Um, What are your thoughts or perspectives on brands? and state-run media. Yeah, I, so I think as, as I was getting ready for this call today, I, I spent a good deal of time thinking about this question, right? Because this is one example, but the reality is that there are markets where the media is either in large part or wholly owned or controlled by the government. And that's a market reality. What do you do? Do you not advertise in the market at all, that doesn't exactly work, right? Right. Um, These are not small markets in some cases. So what I will say is the Russia-Ukraine crisis and, and the global momentum behind supporting Ukraine, I think is a catalyst for the need to have a consistent approach to this, right? We've seen, for example, when we've seen the platform's start to block known Russian misinformation and disinformation sites and stop monetizing that content. What we also saw is actors in China, for example, that were spreading misinformation and disinformation about the war in Ukraine. Even when it is a local specific um, conflict or it's, it's about Russia and Ukraine, it's not about Russia and Ukraine. It's about needing to have a consistent approach and the fact that corporate response to these types of issues, it's a good time to start thinking about how to apply that holistically and, and what precedent might get set now and how you might respond to similar in the future and how you take a more proactive approach to this. Is there more evaluation you need to do about the publishers that you're working with or the ad tech partners that you're working with in a given market and asking them what they're doing to make sure that they're not monetizing misinformation and disinformation? It's not going to be as simple as not funding censorship, right? But there's certainly, if we can at least start with misinformation and disinformation as a starting point, there's certainly accountability improvement that's needed in the ad tech space. So moving on to sort of the larger picture of brand response, Have you seen anything that you think is a particularly unique or interesting, either good or bad example of how how brands are engaging with the war? Um, Obviously, we've seen a lot of brands sort of use their platform to make it easy for consumers to donate, uh, in some cases matching donations, in some cases just sort of opening up channels for communication and monetary relief. I'm just curious if you've seen anything that you thought was sort of a standout example of a brand really using their their platform and their power to make a, a significant impact here? 
I might answer that by taking a look at the other side of the coin. What I have thought is the most interesting is the brands that have not mm. ceased operating in the market. And I think that that dialogue is an important one. So even from like a platform example, if we talk about that for just a moment, this is now changed and it's an ever-evolving situation. So by the time this is published, who knows? But <laughs> TikTok did not exit or pause operations in the market. And the rationale there was it's an important, number one, like pressure release valve for the people who are not the bad guys here in in the market. It also, social media, of course, plays an important role in providing access to information and, you know, connection and the like in a market. And so I think that it's interesting to think about how brands that deliver goods to the people in Russia, what they need to think about, because it's not just about the impact on employees, it's about the impact on the broader Russian community. And so I know, for example, Burger King's Russian partner refused to close restaurants there as an example. So yeah, I think that that's the more interesting side of the coin. And I think it'll be interesting to see how much that is sustained. Back to the TikTok example, what they did was restricted certain functionality, right? So to combat the misinformation and disinformation, and indeed in response to the new fake news law that Russia instituted to essentially protect their own employees, they also restricted the ability to upload new content and restricted that functionality. So I think it's going to be interesting for those that have decided to stay in the market, what that looks like in the coming days and weeks. Yeah, I think it's super interesting. And it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, we don't know how long this war is going to go on. It'll be interesting to see if that's maintained or if they at some point run out of willpower in in the market. Certainly interesting to see how they will also pivot back, what things will look like on the other side of conflict eventually one day. Thinking about the other side of the conflict, the social media platforms have been shut down inside of Russia. A lot of the other tech platforms have started pulling operations out of Russia. You know, one thing that we talk about is this idea of the splinter net that our global internet, you know, it's always been the sort of global internet plus the Chinese internet, which evolved as a separate ecosystem. There are and continue to be a, a massive number of potential threats to, you know, keeping those two sort of pieces of the internet together as whole and that there, this might be the beginning of a, a further fractioning um, of the internet, uh, even if, you know, knock on wood, the conflict is resolved pretty quickly. This might have sort of a lasting ripple effect in terms of which tech platforms are available, not only in Russia, but in other countries who might opt to side with Russia in the conflict. Um, Do you have any thoughts on that and sort of fast forward, hopefully, to the end of this conflict and where it might leave our media ecosystem in the future? Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. And I do think that on the heels of, I think, maybe two or three hours ago, the Russian government just announced that Meta, Facebook's parent company, is an extremist organization. (laughs) Um, So it's pretty inconceivable that we're going to go right back to status quo. Um, And so I do think that we'll see more of that splinter net effect. Not in a way that deviates from momentum generally, though, right? So China passed the PIPL, the privacy law in China, um, became operable last year and is a strong data localization component in China's laws as well as in Russia's laws. I think that the momentum towards localization and 
these things that drive the splinter net isn't going to change, just perhaps be more pronounced. What I am hopeful is a more substantive change or deviation is that I think there's been a ton of reporting on what the social media platforms have done, and it's understandable as to why, and they're the highly visible players in this ecosystem. But what I think deserves um, more attention is the rest of the ad tech ecosystem, the non-public facing part of the ad tech ecosystem and, you know, how Google is preventing its programmatic, its, you know, DSP and, and SST side of its offering from spreading misinformation and disinformation and how it's evaluating the publisher that it's not monetizing misinformation and disinformation. I'm hopeful that that greater focus on ad tech's role beyond the social media platforms and their need to be more accountable for what they're monetizing. I hope that that conversation also continues and I do think that it will. I think that this crisis drew a lot of attention to that from regulators and that will continue. And the way that I like to think about this is, you know, there are analogs in other areas of business and the world, right? Like when we think about things like money laundering, it's on the bank, the financial services institution, to know their customer so that they're not enabling money laundering. It is not different here, right? Like, Mm. know what you're monetizing. Do that level of diligence. I hope that that conversation continues. I'm sure that the emphasis on the broader ad tech ecosystem's role in that will continue. And I would say that for brands, it's certainly an area that they should be expecting more of from their partners, understanding how they're taking accountability for that. Yeah, that's great. I love that analogy to uh, financial services and money laundering. I think it is uh, pretty apt in terms of where responsibility lies and potentially where uh, regulation might need to be applied in the future. Super interesting. Yeah. So I think one other interesting thing is that Human Rights Watch has been doing reporting on how a number of tech companies have been responding to the crisis in Ukraine and um, approaching Russian misinformation and disinformation and spread by state-owned or affiliated sites. So they've been tracking what Twitter, Google, Meta, TikTok, and Telegram, so they're focused on social and messaging, have been doing and date stamping them. So it's kind of a fascinating look at it. looking at things like, are they doing global removals? Are they geo-blocking in Ukraine? Are they geo-blocking in other countries? So they're looking at this beyond just what's being done within Russia. And so that's like to the point we were making earlier. It's really important to remember that actions in other countries directly impact people, both in Ukraine, Russia, and beyond as well. So I would just encourage anyone to take a look at that tracker. It's it's super interesting, the different dimensions that they're focusing on, and I think gives a preview of some of the things that we will want to see from the broader ad tech ecosystem as well in terms of accountability, not just these highly visible platforms. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I think especially coming from a human rights organization, the kinds of things that they have been tracking for decades with governments are now being applied to these media platforms as well. And to your point, probably just even more uh, brands and companies over time will get that kind of scrutiny. Ariel, thank you so much for joining us uh, and having this great conversation. Um, If there's one sort of takeaway that you have for our agency and brands friends who are listening, uh, what might that be? 
I would just underscore the earlier point that I made about this being really about an approach that needs a scalpel and not an axe. Taking that blunt approach of, you know, stopping advertising altogether outright without, you know, planning for what that means for people on the ground in the market would also impact people. So you do see companies considering how they'll still support, you know, their employees, their people, even after they exit the market. And I think that is really the takeaway here. All of this is nuanced. All of this is a balance. There are implications on either side and, and having that thoughtful and scalpel based versus blunt based approach is going to be necessary, not only now, but for similar situations in the future. Yeah, I think we couldn't agree more. Ariel, thank you again so much for your time. We will see you again soon here on Floor 9.